Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm so excited for this week's episode as I am joined by Ken Costa, direct from London. Ken is an internationally renowned author. He's also a banker, having worked as chairman of UBS Investment Bank for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. He is chairman emeritus of Alpha International and dean of the Leadership College of London. He's the founder and author of God at Work. He's also written several other books, including his latest, Strange Kingdom. Ken has a beautiful view of what it means to live as a devoted Christ follower in the marketplace, and we're so excited to have him with us on today's episode. On this episode, Ken and I look toward Holy Week and discuss the transforming impact that the cross of Christ has on our daily lives. Ken shares about the Holy Spirit's role at the cross and the implications that has for our lives and our ministries. And we also talk about the relational nature of God and how that leads us as we reach our communities with the hope of Jesus. This is a powerful episode for you and your team. So please join me in my conversation with Ken Costa. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you very much for having me uh, on your podcast and to all your Listeners, wherever you are, it's a great privilege to be able to speak to you from London in England. Excellent, brother. Now, as we find ourselves in the Lenten season, we're making our way to Holy Week, Ken. Can you talk to us a bit about why you personally have invested so much time looking to the cross of Jesus? Well, I think that For ordinary people in the workplace, at their homes, in their gyms, in their schools, or wherever they are, the question that has always been in front of my mind is, what does the cross mean for us? It's one thing to be preached in a church. It's another to be lived out day by day uh, in the harshness of a competitive uh, environment in the workplace. And I was very struck by that comment by uh, Paul in the first letter to the Corinthians, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the question is, where where does this power come from in this very strange kingdom, uh, which is the title of the book uh, that I've written? Yeah, it, it's fascinating, um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about power, because you raised this in uh, Strange Kingdom in your book. You know, how the, how the world views power, how Jesus viewed power. The cross speaks of power to us, but I think at times um, we've become, I don't know, somewhat numb to the symbol of the cross. We've almost domesticated it to a degree, perhaps. Ken, what does the cross of Christ speak to us specifically about power? Well, that's a really interesting uh a comment that you've made. See, if you were to go to a major advertising, a brand advertising agency anywhere in the world and say, I want to find a new religion, and uh, what I'd like the symbol of this new religion to be would be a cross on which someone, you know, sort of died, and I want that to survive for, um, you know, on television for a week and a half, they'd laugh at you. Right. you know, the church could have chosen a resurrection picture. They could have chosen a lamb. They could have chosen any number of uh, 
images at the time, a pelican, you know, that plucks its own breast to feed its children in some self-sacrifice. But it was the cross that became the central uh, sign and symbol of the Christian church, which has lasted throughout the generations. And the reason for that was that at the cross was the moment in which all of history actually pivots because up to that point, it was a whole sense of mankind searching for God. And on the moment of the cross, the historical significance was that was the moment when God himself reached down to us in our humanity, suffering death as we all will suffer and coming to life again and rising again. That's the moment of history. And the power, therefore, is that God himself is one of us. And the power of the cross is that he suffered and died so that we might not have death, which is the ultimate um, pain of sin, hit us in the same force as it might have done without his intervention. So that, that's why the corner of it, or the key of it, is why the cross is so important, and why it's so important in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, that's fascinating, the irony of of as you expressed you know the idea of the cross as being the symbol of of power in christendom and i think it goes back to what you said you know at the very beginning um in paul's statement about the foolishness um and you write about this foolishness and how that that kind of is what leads us to this idea of that that indeed the kingdom of god is a strange kingdom you know it's this upside down sort of kingdom so talk to us a little bit about that in terms of, well, of sure. power as well right absolutely well i mean the quote as you know comes the the title comes from dietrich bonhoeffer who was the um the wonderful christian pastor that was martyred by the nazis and he said that the king who dies on a cross must be the king of a very strange kingdom And we always have to remember that we are part of a strange kingdom. The efforts to assimilate to the world, to make us appear to be closer to the world, will never locate the source of insight and power and purpose for the Christian life. It it, it is a different metric. It's a different way of looking. It's the suffering of the cross that actually releases the power in our lives. And we have to remember that the Son of Man, as Mark tells us, came not to be served, but to serve. And it's in that service that we will discover the location of true power, sustainable power in our daily lives. Yeah, it's good, Ken. That's powerful. Now, um, as, as you know, our audience is made up of pastors, uh, ministry leaders, church leaders. And so we, when we think about this idea of, of power, as ministry leaders and pastors, what can we do to kind of best understand and kind of live out in our roles as leaders, you know, leading the church, the local congregations God has entrusted to us? How do we live out this, this strange kingdom? How do, how do we balance that tension of power that we see in Christ with the power that the world is kind of putting in front of us? Well, we have to recalibrate. And the only way we can do that is by looking at the source of the power. You see, the last thing that Jesus said uh, to his disciples is that you will receive power, and then went on to describe 
when it would come, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So it is only by the activity of the Spirit of God who comes to live within us that we're able to recalibrate our lives away from what looks like losing. I mean, the cross on it, you know, the question is, was it, did he lose or did he win? Right. Uh, and it looks like he lost. But 2,000 years later, it is still continues to be people devoted to the cross of Jesus Christ, seeing in it their salvation, their healing, their purpose, their future, against, you know, all the teachings of the world, which can never really satisfy, because you cannot give what you haven't received. And when we receive from the Spirit of God, we receive the insight into the, his death on the cross as a servant, modeling for us the way in which we should live our daily lives for others in you know, the harshness of the workplace. That's cool. And one of the things, Ken, I really appreciate about your book, Strange Kingdom, is really your discussion about the Holy Spirit, really throughout. But one particular section I loved was uh, your discussion of the Holy Spirit in regard to the forsakenness of Jesus on the cross. Um, I want to share just a little bit of what you wrote, and then I'd love for you, if you could for us, to unpack for us the implications that this has on our own lives, right? Because because we see how uh, you discuss the Spirit as Christ was on the cross, but then, then how does that impact our own lives? Let, let me just read what you shared. You said, It is the consistent faithful presence of the Holy Spirit that provides the glimmer of hope in the midst of the despair. The Spirit holds the Father and Son together in love, even as their intimacy is threatened to the breaking point by the cross. You go on to write, you say, I have the audacity to claim that there are glorious implications for us and the way we live in the story of Jesus being forsaken, however paradoxical that sentence might seem. So how is it, as we see the the presence of the, the Spirit there as Christ was hanging on the cross, in this forsaken time, this time of absolute despair, share with us what hope does that give us in our daily lives uh, well, as well? It is a key insight, and you're quite right, and thank you for, for pointing to it, because one needs to understand that the cross is, in fact, Trinitarian. Yes. Uh, the discussion between the Father and the Son on the forsakenness seems to look as if it was just two parties involved. But in fact, the Spirit of God was there because the love of God was being poured out on that cross. And in the moment of deepest agony, deepest travail, he acted as the reminder that there was something to come, that there was a future. It was a, a sense of looking forward. And, and, the, and the lesson we take from it is that in, in the toughest failures that we might have, in our lives, the failures of of relationships, divorce, bereavement, disappointment, with fear, guilt, shame, and we feel as low as you ever can, at that moment we need to remember that just as the Spirit of God was with Christ on the cross, so he is with us in the depths of our agonies, reminding us that there is something ahead of us who is of course, the Spirit of God active in the resurrection. And 
giving us the sense of a new life and the future and the hope that we have. Yeah, and, and that is uh, kind of the spirit-led worldview that, that you write about, that, that we kind of view life led by the Spirit, knowing that God's mercies um, continue to, to come our way, right? Absolutely, because it, you know, if you want to sum up the whole of, my, of everything I am about, is that the Spirit gives life. Yes. That's what we read about. And how does he give life? He gives life by reminding us um, he's the action replay in our lives of of the cross. He shows us in real time what happened on that occasion. And the Spirit gives us life because he is the one that was there holding on to life, even through the moments of agony and death on the cross, which subsequently uh, flourished into the times of the resurrection, as indeed it will to us by the promise that he's with us always, even even in the darkest times of our lives. Yeah, it's beautiful. Ken, um, you also talk of the cross as being this opportunity to restore friendship between God and humanity. What do you mean by this restoration of friendship? Well, there are different ways of, of you know, theologians have different ways of describing it, but I think ordinary, you know, ordinary people um, will look to to understand that there is a linkage, there is an openness that exists between friends who are able to, even though they are disagreeing with each other, even though they have differing views, and believe me, in the church worldwide, there are such deep levels of disagreement. Nonetheless, there is an openness to God where we are able to talk on the basis of a common a relationship, a common friendship. That friendship between God and human beings was established on the cross by Jesus. Uh, and that is why um, it is so powerful, because it's the, it is the linkage, the opening of all that there was in heaven available to all of us uh, on earth uh, in, in every situation that we would find. Yeah, as, as we're thinking about pastors and ministry leaders, and as we in, in our society today are trying to communicate, you know, I'm thinking about Easter coming up here, communicate the, the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. What are some ways that we as ministry leaders need to think about communicating this message that is good news, definitely, but sometimes we are so familiar with the story of the cross and the story of the resurrection. What does the strange kingdom pull out of that story that well, can help us better communicate with the world in which we live? The strangest coinage of the kingdom mm -hmm. is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It is so extraordinary that it is unique to our faith. Uh, it, you know, People say in the world, oh, I've, you know what, I've made a mistake, I'll get over it. Mm. But what we're able to do is to say that there was a moment in which Jesus on the cross opened through his relentless love the forgiveness that was due for the sins that we had committed by breaking the relationship with God. He restored that relationship. You know, it wasn't the nails, but the love that held God to a cross. Mm. And that forgiveness is the simplest message that is the most powerful in any workplace 
uh, in any school, home, gym, wherever you happen to be, it's the one message of good news that is utterly unique. And we need to find new ways of simply expressing the way in which that forgiveness um, is an empowering presence of the Spirit of God. It, it's not just that the sin is taken away, but at the same time, a new righteousness, a new flourishing is brought about to our humanity. Uh, and we are therefore able to live less stress on our lives, you know, less mental issues on our lives, fewer guilt uh, that we would have because of what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah, Ken, forgiveness is so key. I'm curious, uh, from your experience, uh, why do you think people struggle with this concept of, of true forgiveness in Christ? People outside the church kind of sometimes struggle with that. People even within the church struggle with this idea of forgiveness. Why, why is that? Well, because you, I didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay for it. I didn't, uh, I, it, it wasn't in my self-help book. Um, it's got nothing to do with me. Uh, it was that once for all meeting of all human beings at their worst and God at his best. That's what happened on the cross. So there's a resistance point as to if it's so good, um, why is it free? What, what is it? And that's the nature of the grace that is so difficult to understand. That's the marvelous and enduring uh, sense of, 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 of the victory of the cross rather than Christ simply being a victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. It's, 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 it's so interesting to think that the forgiveness is so free, that the grace is offered, but we as in our human nature struggle so much with with the concept of grace completely right because we we feel there always has to be some sort of exchange there like there like it's too good to be true and yet it's the truest thing known to humankind uh, absolutely and I, but i think that one of the ways i always try to express it uh, coming from the marketplace is you know, every generation has to find images of what happened on the cross that are relevant to the generation right and one that i like most is the whole commercial nature. We talk about, you know, exchange rates. Uh, we talk talk about buying and selling. You know, we talk about, you know, exchange um, one um, uh, some goods for for other goods. So exchange is at the very heart of the commercial uh, commercial world. And uh, it, when we see that, is that there was a great exchange that took place on the cross, in which our, the purposelessness of our lives was taken by him and a new purpose given to us. And we had that purpose only because he was the one that took the initiative. We didn't screw ourselves up to get to a place or was good enough to get to the place where we could, as it were, wipe out our pasts. And that makes a big difference when we realize that it is an act of God and we submit ourselves to him, look to the cross, and derive the same power that enabled him to go through that dark, dark night to die, and then the same power with which he rose again. And that's, of course, the nutshell of this wonderful message. Yes, yes. One of the things that I I also enjoyed about your book was that you took it to a place, um, as you closed the book, you didn't just kind of walk through um, the foolishness and the forsakenness, uh, the forgiveness, the friendship. But then you took it to um, that idea of flourishing, that it's not just this gift we receive through Christ's sacrifice, but it kind of propels us into this whole new 
spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit, um, you know, uh, uh, speaking to, to pastors, to ministry leaders, this idea of flourishing uh, as you speak of it, what does that look like and what can that look like in our world today when we're thinking about our local congregations in a city or in a town? Um, what does that flourishing become for us? Well, let's just work the basis of it. The, the cross secured um, and the resurrection cemented the real power of our lives. But the spirit is the delivery mechanism. It's the deliveroo, if you want to put it that way. Right, right. That, that uh, or, or whichever you have to deliver your, 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 your food. The spirit of God is the delivery mechanism of the Trinity. He delivers to us a way of life. And in doing so, I mean, so often people think that, well, um, if I come to faith, I become more religious or invite the Spirit of God into my life in order to be more religious. Exactly the opposite. The Spirit of God comes into our lives to make us more human. Ah, and it's yeah. the flourishing of our humanity that we are able to learn how to live joyful lives, even in the midst of stress and pain and, and disappointment. And that flourishing against the grain of the world is what we learn from the Word. And the Word of God is, is, is gives us all the encouragement that the Spirit of God is going to keep us day to day uh, walking the path that He opened for us. So it's not just He sorted out my past, I'm now delivered of all the transgressions, wonderful as that is, but it's also that the the, the, the delivery mechanism, the Spirit of God comes, inhabits my life, gives me a new orientation, a new way of looking at individual people, at churches, the marginalized, the depressed, looking at the justice issues of our time, environment issues of our time. All of these are drawn in by a new alertness to the activity of God in our lives and in the world around us through the Spirit of God. Yeah, some people today can might say that if you look at the news or you look at some some of the things even maybe taking place um, within the church, capital C church, that there doesn't seem to be a lot of flourishing happening within the church. Can you talk to us a little bit about where you might have seen? I, I know you travel the world, some flourishing happening, and and how we can embrace that strange kingdom and step into that flourishing as the church. Well, I think that's a very, very uh, pertinent question. You see, people often ask me, and they always ask me every day, how is it possible um, to be active in the workplace um, and to be a Christian? And the usual assumption is, well, you don't steal um, paper clips or you don't take bribes, <laughs> clearly important issues. But the central and most important contribution that we can make in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in our uh, leisure activities, wherever we are, the central most important is that we are we convey life. And when I look at some of my colleagues and, and people working every hour in the workplace, they stressed, travel times makes it difficult, financial concerns, family issues, all of which, if you look into the eyes, the eyes are dead. But what we can do is we can speak life because the Spirit gives life 
and in our activities of showing an act of gracious kindness, I'm not talking about overtly religious activity, just being kind to people, inviting them to share a Netflix with you when they just when they're in a bad way, or a pizza together, or, or some small, you know, activity which would be classed as human rather than churchy or religious. In that moment, we begin to see the flourishing because the relational activity, which is so prized by God comes into the fore in our day-to-day practical life. Yes, yes, I love that. So so that relational activity, that, that's so good because as we're making our way toward Easter, I think a lot of pastors are asking themselves, hey, how can we connect with the people in our community, right? The people that walk up and down the streets, the people who are in the marketplace, people in our schools, how do we connect with them? How do we help them to see um, the beauty, the truth, and the hope of the resurrected Christ. And so would you say that that the focus really, one of the primary focuses that, that we should be stepping into is, as you said, this kind of this relational activity um, because that's at the very heart of, of God as a relational God? Well, yes, because, but in one sense, which is why the cross is so important, is you can't just duck into the resurrection. You can't just celebrate, you know, the wonderful, this new life, there's, a, you know, it's green shoots, it's, it's, it's the white and glorious hopes that we have in the resurrection. It is to those that are living in a world that is pained and broken and suffering yes. that, this, that our God has come to say, you know, the resurrection makes the difference. I'm not an optimist. But I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and therefore I have got real hope for tomorrow by virtue of this powerful resurrection. And that same power, we were talking about power earlier, that same power is available for me to live my life today with purpose. And and that is secured by, by the death and resurrection of Jesus and delivered by the Spirit of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, Ken. So good. Ken, um, it's, it's been so great to, to focus in, especially this time of year, uh, on the cross. And I just absolutely love your book, Strange Kingdom, and how you just walk us through and, and really help us understand how the cross impacts, like you said, our day-to-day life, um, how we relate to others, how we relate to God, um, and not just as some theological idea, as important as that is, but really in the grittiness of life and the impact that it makes. Ken, I, I was wondering, is there anything, you've got pastors all over the world right now listening in, pastors, ministry leaders, as we're headed to Easter, is, is there anything that you just like to share with those ministers who are listening in today? Maybe we haven't touched upon it yet, but just something that you'd like to, to leave with them. I would like to leave this with you, which is that you are doing a remarkable work, particularly at this time of Easter. Uh, the remarkable work that you're doing is is one where you are showing confidence in the foolishness of a cross, in the sure knowledge from your own lives that it is authentic and real, and that the power of the cross of Jesus transforms day-to-day living. And if your people can see that in you, both because you believe it and because you live it, then the hope that we have is the key part of the strange kingdom 
that will be so infectious to the world around us that they'll come running towards us and saying, tell us about this hope that can meet me even in my most depressed, hard, difficult, disappointed life. And then we will see the repair of the resurrection flourishing in our communities because we need to recreate real, authentic, loving communities if our society has got any hope of holding together uh, for the next generation. And you are the and you the pastors have this key, key, key role of being able to articulate this message of hope. Amen. Love that, brother. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you for um, taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us here on the podcast. If people want to um, learn more about Strange Kingdom, your book, uh, of course, we'll have links in our show notes here. But if they want to learn more about you um, or connect with you or your ministry, um, your other writings, what's the best way they could do that? The simplest way is to hit um, uh, the website God at Work. Uh, or to check out the Amazon sites uh, for any of the books that they'd like to buy. Excellent, my friend. Thank you so much once again, brother. I certainly appreciate having you with us. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.